0: I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, it's great having ADHD. I feel like that's bullshit. At times, can it be my superpower? And I hate using that term, frankly. But there's times when it can be a great resource. There's also a lot of times where it's just kind of like this chain around me that I will never get rid of.
1: You're listening to Refocus Together. And this is Episode 6, Peter Kiley and Embracing Your Bag of Shit. Welcome back to Refocused, a podcast all about ADHD. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel. You just heard a little from Peter Kylie, today's Refocus Together guest. Like all of the 31 guests we'll have in honor of ADHD Awareness Month, Peter has generously shared his story to help us all see that we're not alone. Peter has navigated a challenging journey of learning, forgiveness, and acceptance since being diagnosed with ADHD in sixth grade. The diagnosis provided an explanation for his struggles and marked the beginning of his journey. As part of an early generation with a lack of awareness and treatment for ADHD, Peter had to repeatedly prove himself and explain his condition in learning environments. Though he initially felt disconnected and angry, he learned to adapt and manage his condition in systems and social structures that are not ideal to folks with ADHD. Peter has found solace in having an identity of his own and believes that people with ADHD have a unique ability to connect with others, making them feel comfortable and heard. With the help of his loved ones, he continues to learn more about himself and recognize that while ADHD might not be his superpower, it can be a great resource at times. Today's Peter has found his perfect job as an award-winning brewmaster at Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta where he can put his creative mind and passion for innovation to good use. You can find out more about that on Instagram at pbkiley, that's P-B-K-I-L-E-Y, or over on Monday Night Brewing's page at Monday Night. Let's hear more from Peter about his experience with ADHD, why he chooses to be unmedicated, and how creating structure in his life with accountability is a critical part of his survival. We start all of the interviews the same. I want to know when were you diagnosed and what was your diagnosis like and what sparked that conversation for you?
0: Well, I don't know if it's like this with everyone that has ADHD, but my memory is not always great. But I do remember distinctly that when I was exiting sixth grade and we had to do, um, I guess, a psych evaluation to enter a smaller private school that I was going to. And it was in that summer that I did that testing. And I learned a lot of things about myself. One of which was that I was diagnosed with ADHD, among a few other things. But that one definitely uh, stood out.
1: You know, you mentioned that you don't have the greatest memory of that moment. But what was it that jumped out about ADHD and you as a sixth grader, you know, what dots were people connecting that ultimately then came out on the exam you were taking?
0: To be honest, like out of all the things, I used to have a terrible stutter. I was also diagnosed with dyslexia. It was a lot of things at once. Um, I don't know. It felt kind of a little, I don't know if the word is nice. It, It made me feel as though like there was at least an explanation for all the things that I didn't understand and how I felt like the world was speaking in English and I was speaking in Chinese and I felt very disconnected and I was an angry kid. And it was one of those moments where I was kind of like, ha, I knew there was something. And now everyone else knows there's something. Because before it was just maybe I was stubborn or I had some behavioral issues or I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a family where everyone seems to be like a verbal genius (laughs) and great at talking and great at reading. And they're just kind of like, well, maybe he's just the youngest. Maybe he's just rebelling and doesn't want to do this, but I don't remember much other than just that feeling of like, okay, now this is a starting point. And I definitely didn't have the tools to cope with any of this back then. I was so young. I just at least felt different, which I think when you're a kid, it's nice to have that where you kind of have your own identity. So that was the beginning of my path.
1: What changed for you after getting those answers?
0: I don't really know. I, I think that maybe maybe people treated me differently. And I started getting different attention in school. I think I started to for the first time like possess some level of grace for myself where I was like, well, there's a reason why everything's harder for you. You know, it, it's, it's hard to say. It was so long ago. And I feel like it's been this thing that's so a part of me. I've never known life without it. So it wasn't that it was new for me then. The only thing that was new is that everyone else now knew it. And I could at least put a title and I could at least like start learning things about myself because I had these keywords that would in theory describe me or at least describe what I had or who I was. I mean, it's all the same thing, right?
1: What sort of treatment plan was put in place following your diagnosis or what have you done over the years, whether it might be medication or coping strategies? But, you know, I'm curious, just like middle school, that's such a hard time. And then you get this big answer kind of, you know, lands right on your desk. And how did you guys move forward with that information? You know, and and what did you try to do to balance some of that?
0: Once again, going back through time, I feel like every time I access memories, they become corrupted. But I was in this early generation where you just got really over-medicated, and that was really, really tough. That, frankly, just sucked. But no one really knew otherwise, and it seemed like it worked, right? I think a lot of people in my age, I'm 38 now, during this time when these terms started to get thrown around... You know, it was the medication was just this thing. And I remember taking ungodly amounts of time release Adderall. I mean, I think I was prescribed like upwards of 80 milligrams a day. I mean, numbers that I now know are just completely irresponsible. And my parents didn't know any better. And I think that also like the term was not really treated as seriously back then to where it was kind of just like, all right, well, you'll grow out of this. This will go away. So I don't even know if I got a lot of coping mechanisms. I don't know if I was actually, if there was a package delivered to me that was like, now that you have this, this is what you're going to need to do differently. I had a family of neurotypicals and I was the one that was a little more neurodivergent. I mean, it's funny to think that like, I looking at it now, I bet my brother and my father both have some level of ADD, but it just wasn't really that way. I mean, I'm so proud to see how much we've, how far we've come. And I hope that, you know, if if my children have it or with other people, there's so much more to do with it now. There's such a, there's a shared lexicon. There's a whole library of information, but frankly, it just didn't really exist at least in my world. And I was at a small Episcopalian private school where, you know, I had behavioral issues, so usually as chalked up as that. I had high aptitude, so people just thought that, like, they're like, you could do it, you just don't want to. Or, you know, it was all of these classic things that you hear about now, and I think that the most consideration was actually towards my stuff, and even my dyslexia. I mean, of course, I got, like, extended time and all these things where they put you in a room and make sure there was no stimuli, which already made you feel just kind of, like, weird. You're just like... Uh, like I just feel like the strange kid in the class, and then you know, going into college, it was the same thing. He always also you always had to prove yourself. You always had to be like, "Here's the documentation." And it's like it just felt kind of not to curse in your podcast. It just felt kind of shitty. And I was just like, "Why do we have to keep explaining to people that I'm this way?" Like, and I get it. Maybe some people abuse those rights. I don't know, but I feel like I have started to learn about myself and what I have and who I am more so in the past probably seven years, especially since I found my wife and we got married and she helped me to understand a lot of the things that were going on because I didn't really want to turn over all the rocks. I didn't want there to be like this thing that I now knew that was going to permanently hold me back or something that I couldn't shake off. I think there was the hopeful piece of me that was Listening to what I heard my whole life like that, maybe this would just go away, (laughs) but it hasn't. And if anything, (laughs) I'm not going to say it's gotten worse, but if you were just to measure it, if there was something to measure, it's probably, it feels like it's become amplified the older I get because I've become more comfortable with who I am. And that's one of those things where I struggle with my ADHD. There's a lot of people that I work with and people that I'm close with that cope with my ADHD. I have a wife and two children. I can tell you that my wife definitely copes with the fact that I have ADHD. And there's days when I hate that. There's days where I hate that I'm a burden. You know, it's, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, it's great having ADHD. I feel like that's bullshit. At times, can it be my superpower? And I hate using that term, frankly. But there's times when it can be a great resource And it's definitely prepared me for whether it's, you know, like really like intense situations or, you know, decisiveness or creativity, all these amazing things. But it's also a lot of times where it's just kind of like this chain around me that I will never get rid of. And people just have to get used to that. And I do too at times. I have to re-remind myself often that it's not going away, that this is just who I am.
1: The word burden is a very hard one to stomach because it's easy for us to say it and everyone in our lives will say that's, that's not the case. You're, you're not a burden. But because everything feels harder and sometimes it feels like all we do is make things harder, then that word comes out. And having a great relationship with your wife, I mean, what a gift for you. Because I have to imagine that she goes out of her way to make sure that you don't feel that way.
0: I mean, at times she's also human, you know? So she would have like got two young kids. There's there's definitely the reality where you know, sometimes it just it's gotta really suck for her. It's gotta be really hard. And we also own a business together. We work together. We we have overlapping lives in every regard. So like I think that without her help to help me study it and with all the resources that exist now, I think I probably just would have been like, you know, Probably not as curious as I've become because the more that I realize that there's out there, the more I've resources that I've found, the more people that are openly talking about it now for the first time ever, I feel like I feel like I am not alone. I don't feel like I'm crazy. And that's been like one of the coolest parts about this journey is like just seeing a lot of us come together and not celebrate it, but acknowledge it. Because I don't think that maybe some people have it differently than me that but I don't really celebrate. I think that it's something that has been really, really taxing on me in my life. And that's something that I overcome. I try to overcome daily. And there's so many little things where people are just like, oh, you're zoned out or like this idea that I call it like analysis paralysis. You know, like I was never good at a lot of things, but science stuck out with me. You know, like. Something about the dyslexic brain is like, I can look at things really well in my head. So like I found chemistry. That's what I studied in school. And I've got this weird, good memory for like the strangest things. And there's all these things, but then there would be times when I can't do the most simple of tasks where I'll just be frozen and I'll just be like dopamine seeking. And I'm like, I'm like this arsonist at times. So I'm like, I'm going to go burn something down so I can go put it out and rebuild it. You know, like... I think I found the perfect line of work because I'm constantly creating new things and there's always new problems, and I wear a million different hats. I can't imagine life without that outlet that I have running a brewery in a business. But, you know, luckily I have a lot of great business partners around me that are like, (laughs) maybe like at times I can be too emotional, which is something that I now know that's really true about me and what I am and who I am. And there's all these things where I'm like, (laughs) Could I fully run a business by myself? I probably doubt that. Yeah, I actually, I, I really know I couldn't. Managing people it can be hard at times. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I need to be managed more than anyone else. You know, like this idea of leadership feels so silly because I'm like, who the hell would want to follow me? I barely got myself together at times. I tell this to a lot of people that I've talked to and I've mentored younger children, younger kids that have just like so you're in, in ADHD. And I kind of tell them all the same thing that in life, everyone gets handed a bag of shit and it stinks. <laughs> and you got to carry it around with you. But like what you do with that bag of shit is up to you. And I'm not ashamed of it. I don't love it. Some days it stinks worse than others, but it's mine. And I can at least accept that. And I'm not going to ever shy away from it. I'm never going to hide it. I'm never going to try to pretend like I am. I'm not going to say normal. because That's a terrible word. I'm just not going to pretend that I'm someone that I'm not. Because this is so much a part of me that without it, I don't think that the people that know me would recognize me.
1: I want to know what your biggest struggle is when you look at living with ADHD and then what you actively do to try and help it.
0: The remedial. Which I think that the mundane, there's a lot of that in life. You know, whether it's laundry, dishes, the things that you have to do every day. I mean, not to like overshare, but there's even days where like just brushing your teeth or showering, or like these little things where it's it's even gross to admit it. These are all really true. And then like my my sensory issues and like all these other things, like so for me, like I have to really create A lot of, it's created a lot of structure in my life. Without the structure, I I go off the rails because I have also chosen to remain unmedicated. And that's something that I've found to be a really personal decision that's come with a lot of pros and cons. But I can't let the people that I care about suffer me. And also, as a person that cares about themselves, I don't want to be a burden on the people that love me. So it's been a lot of just like, well, especially with my wife and I, it's, we kind of just like, there are assigned things that I do. And obviously like those things work, but when you have like a two year old and a five year old, you know, yesterday's price is not today's price. What worked last month doesn't always work. So it's really hard to kind of like, once I get into good rhythm and I get it for like two weeks, then there's something new that's thrown into it. And I'm like, I feel like I'm always growing and it's always hard. And, there's seasons where I am a letdown and there's seasons where I'm like, I might be ahead of the curve on this one, you know? And it's, for me, it's just creating structure, but it's also, also it's finding places where I can get the stimuli that I need to get the dopamine that I need. Cause if not, I'm going to go to weird places, whether it's just like living on my phone or sensory seeking and dopamine seeking in places that like, I just don't need to be. I mean, Earlier years, of substance abuse, you know, and I don't want to do that. Finally quit smoking. Don't want to do that anymore. You know, like, there was just a lot of places that I've gone throughout my past that I'm like, I now know I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and just being open about that is probably one of the best things that I've ever been able to do. Because how is anyone going to learn? I didn't have enough people around me telling me the truth. Telling me, like, watch out for this. You might really enjoy this too much. It might become unhealthy. And no one really shared that with me. It's uh, through to like, oh, he's just young. You know, it's just, you know, boys will be boys or whatever the hell it was. But it's all bullshit. But we need to talk about this more and more and more. Because people that don't have the skills to get themselves out of the trouble or the resources or the support network, these sensory seeking things can, and stimuli seeking things, they, they can become your pitfall. So structure is the thing that I have to apply. In my personal life, in my professional life, I have calendars now. Ooh, look at me. It's so strange to be like, proud of that. Because so people are just like, yeah, of course, why wouldn't you? And I'm like, that took me like, I just adopted that like a year and a half ago. And I've been doing this business thing for 12 years. So, (laughs) you know, and we have almost 200 employees now. So it's like other things where it's like, yeah, I mean, I I now realize that without my structure, it's not that I just let down my my family, my friends, and I let down all these people that work for us. So like accountability has also been another aspect of my structure is like people holding me accountable. I ask them. I tell people very openly that I work with who I am. I have a very short list of things that I'm great at. And I have this huge long list of things that I'm terrible at. And I'm so proud of my long list because I'm not hiding it. I put it up for everyone to see. And I ask them to not just accept it, but I ask them to know it. Because if they think that I'm not providing in places where I've acknowledged that I do need help, Obviously, I can't just be like, oh, yeah, I told you I suck at that. So I'm going to continue to suck at that. But it does at least help people to understand how to work with me. I think we all know in this world, like, you have to train people how to treat you. And in the workplace and in in life, I have to create the structure and be honest about who I am in order to just survive. <laughs> Sometimes I thrive, sometimes I survive, you know, who knows.
1: Every day is different.
0: Truthfully, it's one of the most unknown things I feel like about this is that like, there's nothing that works every day. You just keep reaching in and picking out different tools to get through your day. And you're like, oh, that tool worked yesterday and it's not going to work tomorrow. And people don't understand that. It feels like oftentimes you wake up and you're just like, replaying the same game (laughs) and you're just like okay how am I gonna get through this one some days it's awesome and you totally thrive and you crush and you're just like I'm unstoppable and the next day you feel like depressed and nothing works and I also realized that I have like hypersensitivity so someone could even just say some benign thing to me it can just hit me like a ton of bricks And then it throws me out of my creative zone. And then I'm like, well, what am I good for today? (laughs) You know, it's just like, uh, it's really hard. And I'm sure that you know this. (laughs) I'm sure that people that listen to this probably get that.
1: There's a reason why I'm laughing and nodding through everything is because everything you're saying is just like, yes, it's so relatable. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to see what's happening in our own lives, but then to hear somebody else explain it, who gets it, and you're like, Yes. Like the light bulbs. I mean, that's the one thing with this is it doesn't matter if you were diagnosed like you around sixth grade or me who was diagnosed before I turned 35. You learn something new every single day.
0: Yeah, for better or worse. (laughs) There's some things I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to know that about myself yet. And of course, like, I'm really curious to know how it's going to evolve as I evolve how it's going to change as I grow older, you know, like I'm sure there's a lot of people that have had it before me, but I feel like we're just now starting to really, at least in the past 10 years, really understand it better and share. So I'm like, maybe I'm like going to be a part of the people like you that help to spread the word and to understand it. But I also don't know a lot of people that are older than me. Like 20, 30 years older than me that could talk to me about it and tell me like, hey, like, this is where it might go. (laughs) Watch out. (laughs) Because I feel like it's not like, oh, get excited ever. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love the destination. I feel like it's always like, for me, it's like, just watch out for this. And I mean, it's hard enough already. I I, I want everyone to tell me if they have the answers of like, how it could be different when you're older. Because I... I think I'm excited in the days when things work well and, like, and I accept myself. But I'm probably more trepidatious than anything about how it's going to go on as I get older. I'm more nervous about it than I am anything. I think I respect it enough to know that it's not something I should like joke around with.
1: I want to talk about where you're thriving. Right now, you are at your brewery. I imagine that that is a big part of when you look at your life. And you think of the good things, what you've built with Monday Night Brewing. So when you look at life, what stands out for you? What is kind of your gold star?
0: I mean, the thing I'm most proud of is my family, without a doubt. My wife's like brilliant. She's completely different than me. And my children are awesome. And I've built something really beautiful that I think I'm like the most protective of. That's where I apply my most most of my effort. Um, But like, obviously, like, I think I've done a pretty good job in the world that I work in. Before beer, I was a winemaker and I found a lot of peace with being outside, actually. Just connecting with my earth. That was one of those things that actually brought a lot of stillness to me. My ADHD was absolutely one of those ones where I was just, I could not stop moving. I am a... I am not a dog chasing a butterfly. I'm like a F1 race card chasing a butterfly. And I would go way past that butterfly and I would just find a bunch of other things. So like finally finding something that slowed me down, but not in a way that held me back, but in a place where I wanted to be slow, where I wanted to stay there longer. And then, you know, with winemaking, it turned into just to to beer and getting to use my chemistry because I wasn't going to be one of those people that like, Studied something at school and didn't use it, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, like when I found this, these guys that were starting this brewery, I think I saw them as stability because they're very organized, deliberate, like empathetic, caring, good people. The thing just grew so fast, and it was amazing. And every day there was a problem. But for me, it was like an opportunity. I like problems. I think problems are great. I am a problem. I thrive with problems. (laughs) Me and problems get along beautifully. Um, So, like, I loved this crazy pace, super intense, complex problem solving environment that I had found myself in. And then it was not just scaling it, but it was also creating products that. Made us relevant and engage with the consumers. And obviously, like my stutter's not an issue anymore. And I actually love talking to groups of people. So I, I found myself being able to do all of these things, whether it's chemical engineer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, engaging with people, doing the marketing. Like I don't just design beers and then let someone go make a label for it. I'm one of those people, like, if I'm going to build a house, I'm also going to paint it. You know, it's like, I love being involved in like everything, which now people know this about me here, but it took a while to kind of like stake my claim as being fluent in a lot of different departments. And I would not have that luxury if I didn't have the agency of being an owner. So I think like over time, I've carved out this place for myself here and I've earned the trust of the people that I work with. And I love what I do, but I'm also me, Peter Kiley, I am 99.99% me, and I'm like 0.01% what I do. And in the early years, it was probably inverse. I completely measured myself based off of the work that I brought through my job. And if someone didn't like a beer I released, I don't remember the beers that people love, but I remember every time someone hated something. And that motivated me in weird ways, but it did. I think anyone that truly suffers with this, they recognize that the greatest motivators are like the moments of rejection and those moments of intense sensitivities. Because it's not because you want to overcome it. It's because you never want to go back there because it hurt so much. And no one could even understand how badly it felt, how nerve- and it feels so raw and everything just feels like it's crumbling. So I just came really good at it. <laughs> that was my motivator. So I studied harder. I pushed the boundaries harder. I failed privately faster. And when I was ready to present, I did it with a level of, I don't know, I, could, I, I definitely still suffer with imposter syndrome, but I'm also very much so perfectionist which is so funny to hear someone that struggles with the most basic things to say that you're like, I'm a perfectionist. In some places, I absolutely am. Some places, I'm a mess. I, I think everyone knows the dichotomy of this world that we live in and who we are, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like all the time. But on a, I, I, I've grown to love what I do. I've grown to love who I do it with. I've grown to love the community that we do it for. And all of that, once again, just brings structure and stability to me. I don't know what I would have done in those early years without this. You know, it probably would have been like a lot scarier if I didn't have this. Who knows who I would have been? So yeah, I mean, like, I'm super thankful for it. I think it's probably the thing I'm outside of my family is the thing I'm most thankful for is this opportunity. So, you know. I'm sure with these podcasts, people don't ever directly answer your questions.
1: <laughs> you are doing such a good job. It is.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that because I, I don't know. I think it's like with a lot of us, sometimes you just talk. I think a lot of ADHD is just feeling. It's just feeling. And I can't always quantify how I feel. I, I'm, I'm always so curious what other people do. That have this because I don't have cute ADHD. I've got like really severe, really crappy ones. And I refuse to medicate because medication has stolen so much from me. And I am a fierce advocate for people that want to step away from it. Obviously, people are allowed to choose their own paths, but it stole so much from me. Um, and I deal with the consequences of not taking it. There's definitely moments when I took it when I was like, this is working. This is great. I'm able to do all these things that normal people are able to do. And then I also realized that I wasn't able to do all the things that were actually special about me. I'm not gonna call it my superpower because it doesn't feel super and I'm not in control of the power. It's just there. It's like getting to like put on a costume and be a different person. And that's how it felt with me. Medication was just a costume wasn't who I was. It was me just dressing up like everyone else in the world. And after a certain point, when I started to accept myself, I was like, that's bullshit. That's not who I am. You know, I started to get comfortable with two versions of me. And for any human being out there, that's a dangerous thing. When you start losing your identity, not externally, but internally, it's really, really dangerous because you can start going really At least I did. I started going all kinds of places to try to figure out who I really was. And in those early years, that was super destructive behavior. Um, But, you know, finally getting off the medication, which took a while. That emotional just breakdown. (laughs) I was a mess for years. But it was also years and years and years of essentially a stimulant, you know. And uh, I've just told myself, I'm like, I can't do that again. I can't.
1: You mentioned some of the fears and concerns you have about the future and growing older with ADHD, but I'm wondering what gives you hope right now? What is something that is pushing you forward?
0: That's a really good question. i come across this way, but I'm a really positive person. I have a lot of love for life. You know, my hyperactivity has not gone away. I love to explore the world. This world is massive. I... I love exploring it. Also, I really like people a lot. <laughs> really good at reading people. There's so much to look forward to. I guess what I'm trying to say is that like having a positive outlook on the world and the people in it, even if I don't always apply that to myself, is something that's really been like my saving and grace. I, I love hanging out with my kids, I like watching them grow up. I love hanging out with my friends. People work. I like meeting new people. It's funny, the people with ADHD, at least the ones that I know in my world, people are always like, oh, you're so extroverted. <laughs> and I find that to be so funny because all of my friends that have ADHD, we're not extroverted. We're, we're more like ambiverts, right? Like,
1: I think there is a giant misconception about people who have ADHD being extroverts when really it's a limited tolerance for small talk. I don't do small talk. <laughs> We are going to become best friends in the first 10 minutes. We'll probably never see each other again, but we will know each other's deepest, darkest secrets. And that's just how I communicate.
0: That's awesome. Man, you really nailed that. I suck at small talk. I would so much rather go down a dark hole with you about like some trauma than talk about the weather. (laughs) Yes.
1: Tell me your deepest, darkest secret.
0: I I, I remember when I was like younger in college, Like I remember this one time I had met this girl and just really just went in and like she unpacked a lot. She felt really comfortable with me. And I remember her crying and my friends were like, yo, why'd you make her cry? And I'm like, I don't think that's what I did, y'all. I don't think I was rude to her. I think I just like really went somewhere super fast. And I, I have what I said earlier, connecting with people. I have a really great skill of connecting with people. And I don't think it's because of the fact that I'm extroverted. I'm really curious. And I lack a lot of boundaries that maybe normal people have where I'm not afraid to probe. I'm not afraid to breeze past your comfort zone and to ask you a question directly. And I'm also really good at connecting in a way that makes people feel comfortable sharing with me. And I actually like hearing them. So I encourage it. And I will do that Ten times out of ten, and when I have to do the small talk, I usually just act out. I usually will create something that allows for the small talk to evaporate. It's so funny you say that. Like, is that like a common thing? Ah, oh, that's awesome. What other things do you know that I'm like? I'm like, tell me more.
1: So much of what you said, honestly, I was like, Peter might be the male version of me. I just you know, and what's really interesting is to think of how different our journeys were with finding out about our ADHD and even just living with it. And it's just hearing some of the things you talk about. It's, it's really affirming for me, somebody who, you know, same thing. I have always measured my success by my career, by what I can do for other people. And the second I started acknowledging that and realizing realizing what was happening and that it was actually what was holding me back. It's been a game changer, but it's very hard to break the people pleasing. And I also, you know, what you mentioned about like. When you've been hurt and those walls go up, they are not coming down. They are they are there and I am waiting and you are always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, you, you touched on a little bit like when you feel that pain and that hurt and someone makes you feel a certain way about yourself. And we, we've all had that, whether you had it after your diagnosis or before your diagnosis. And then for me, you know, my entire education was undiagnosed. And you sit with that shame and you let it fester. And the more we talk about it and the more we acknowledge that we are trying to fit into a one size fits all world that was not built for us and is not adapting at all to us, A lot of that shame can go away, but it only really is helpful when you are surrounded by people who understand it.
0: Man, fucking preach. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at times it feels like the world's not built for you. I think, but, but, you know, like, just to push back, I think everyone feels that. You know, like, I tell this to myself, and I tell this to my kids, I remember how hard it was being a kid. It's really hard to be a kid. It's also really hard being an adult. <laughs> it's actually just really hard being here, but it's the best place you're going to be. And you kind of got to fight for your days. You got to fight for your sanity. You got to fight for the things. I mean, we are so much what we dislike about ourselves, just as much as what we like about ourselves. I can't be me without the bad and the good. So I've even come to the point where I almost in a way fight for the bad parts about me to still exist because they're responsible for the good parts. I'm always afraid that my evolution is going to remove a piece of my past and I want to take it all with me. There's definitely a lot of truth in our school systems and in, in, in a lot of the social structures that we have that it's not ideally designed for us. But I also believe that it's our responsibility to whether we change it or adapt to it. But that's, that's up to us. It's up to the individual, truthfully. I would never accept that in myself. I was never going to just be like, well, it doesn't fit. Guess I'm not wearing shoes. You know, I think that's also the beginning of our path of unlocking some of those cool things that we have. Shame's the hardest thing to work through, though. And shame... Is a really great word to describe a lot of those feelings that people have. Because you might disguise it as anger. You might tell yourself it's someone else's fault. But it's not. It's just like we have hypersensitivity. And shame can do a lot of dark, dark things. And when you start seeking stimuli to exit your shame, you go dark places really quick. I've been there. I've been to those places. I've visited them frequently. You know, and like... um these are the things that I tell the people that I can tell, especially the younger kids, that I'm like, I've actually sat down with like classes of kids with dyslexia and ADHD, and I'm like, "I just talk about it. you know? Do you just share the truth about it?" Do you see these eyes light up where someone's like, "Wow." <laughs> you, said the, you said the code words. You are one of us. Tell us more." It's a really cool feeling. I've watched a lot of the videos that you've done and I've heard a lot of people I'm just like, you know, I think all of us want to be unique, but a lot of times I don't want to be unique. And I see these videos and I'm like, Oh hell yeah. I want to meet that person. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they really get it. Shame is such a bitch. It's a, the cruelest mistress. It, it's just so hard to work through and shame manifests itself in so many unique places, especially when you have hypersensitivity. <laughs> the, the most benign things to someone else, they'd be like, wait, you responded like that to that? And I'm like, you have no idea how devastating that was. And you have no idea of all of the structure that I've put in place to avoid that and all the places that I have grown because of that. <laughs> I'm like... I'm going to go become great at something privately because you said something passively. You know, like, it's, it's fantastic, honestly. The causality of it all, at least in my world, just with this appreciation for chemistry and the physical world, just seeing the causality of who I've become because of what I have suffered, I guess is the word I would use. It's been fascinating. It's awesome. As long as you don't let it just kick you in the teeth and leave you on the ground... And you kind of just got to work through it. It's amazing what happens next. And I tell it to all the young people. I'm like, just stick around for it. Hang on. It's going to suck, but it sucks for everyone. Your suck's different, though. and You're not going to have a lot of people to share it with. They're not going to fully understand it. But if they do, keep them around and talk as much as you can about it. And be honest with yourself and with others. Because if you aren't, no one would ever begin to understand it. So, you mm-hmm. know. That's like that's my battle cry for anyone out there with it. I'm like, just tell the truth about it. And if they don't accept you, fuck them.
1: Perfect words to go out on.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry for cursing so much.
1: <laughs> Peter, this was such a pleasure. When I'm in Atlanta, I'm coming by Monday night brewing. We've already had our heart to heart, you know, our our, our bypassing of the small talk. So we can move on to the next phase of things. But I just <laughs> I'm I'm so appreciative your time. This was so enjoyable and so eye-opening for me. And I'm just so grateful that you were willing to share your story with us. And there's so much more good to come from you sharing your story. And I I can't wait to see what happens.
0: That's really kind of you to say. And thank you for having me be here. Thank you for giving me this outlet to just talk about it. And if you do come to Atlanta, you have to promise me there's, there's zero small talk. Now that I know that like we can't do that. I love this. I'm going to put a sign up this on my face that says, no small talk.
1: <laughs> it makes life so much easier.
0: So much more interesting, too. Like I can only talk about the weather once a year. <laughs> but uh, thank you again. And uh, keep doing such a great job with this. And I hope people that watch this tell the truth. Be yourself. It's okay. It's cool, actually.
1: I had such a wonderful time getting to chat with Peter, like face hurt from smiling fun, and it reminded me of the importance of sharing our stories. Every moment of our lives, every success we achieve, every challenge we face, and every adventure we embark on form a part of our unique story. Our story has the ability to impact and maybe even inspire or bring hope and joy to others. It can feel really big and requires a lot of courage to share our story. Sometimes we might feel like we're oversharing and that good old rejection sensitivity likes to kick in. I often remind myself that it's okay if I'm sharing with someone and what I'm sharing is in context. Our stories are truly valuable and important. It's okay to feel a little nervous about sharing your story with others, but don't let that fear hold you back. Sharing our stories can lead to greater understanding and connection for everyone involved in the conversation. So let's embrace our stories, share them with others, and let them inspire the world. It's something that Peter does so selflessly, and I'm so honored that he chose to share it with us here on Refocus Together. He also talked about a topic that can take a lot of mental energy for ADHDers, medication. Medication it can be a highly effective way to alleviate symptoms. However, it's important to note that some people may prefer to avoid medication for various reasons. If you're unsure whether medication is the right choice for you, it's important to start by talking to a healthcare professional. Tell them you want to work with them to evaluate the specific ADHD behaviors that are impacting your life so you can see how medication could fit in you'll want to consider how these behaviors interfere with activities and situations that are important to you. For instance, if disorganization is affecting your ability to manage paperwork, coaching and organizational tools are available to help. On the other hand, if you struggle with distractibility and need to stay focused during meetings, deadlines, and conversations at work, medication may be a viable option to help you manage your symptoms. Ultimately, the decision to use medication should be made in consultation with a healthcare professional based on your needs and preferences. It's natural to have lots of questions and also to not know how to phrase them. Don't worry, we've got you covered with some basic questions for the next conversation with your provider like, is this medication a stimulant or a non stimulant? How does it work in the brain? What are the known side effects? how will I know if it's working for me? And finally, if I decide to stop taking it, how do I do that? Remember, it's essential to monitor your symptoms and speak openly with your healthcare provider so they can make appropriate adjustments. And always schedule your next appointment so you can keep the conversation going. I'm just so grateful that I got that time with Peter. He is spot on. We all have our bag of shit And the really shitty part is, it's all up to us what we do with it. I've included links in the show notes so you can connect with Peter on social. And if you're in the Atlanta area, make sure to stop by Monday Night Brewing and say hi. Thank you guys so much for listening. We have so much in store for you. To catch all of the 31 stories we're sharing this month, subscribe to Refocused wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also learn more about Refocus Together at ADHDonline.com slash refocustogether and make sure to follow us on social at RefocusPod. Support for Refocus comes from our partner, ADHD Online, a telemedicine mental health care company that provides affordable and accessible ADHD assessments and treatment plans. To learn how they can help you on your journey, head to ADHDonline.com. And remember to use the promo code REFOCUS20 to receive $20 off your ADHD online assessment right now. The biggest thanks go out to our team at ADHD online. Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Melanie Mile, Claudia Gotti, and Trisha Merchandunny for their constant support in helping make Refocus Together happen. These 31 episodes were produced thanks to our managing editor, Sarah Platinitis, our production coordinator, Phil Rodeman, social media specialist and editor, Al Chaplin, and me, the host and executive producer of Refocused, Lindsay Gensel. To connect with the show on social media, you can find us online at Refocus Pod. And you can email the show directly, hello at refocuspod.com. That's hello at refocuspod.com.